0: The recent independent review group reported to the Irish Defence Forces gives stark detail of the misogyny and abuse women have endured in the Defence Forces. We're going to look now at the historical context of paternalism and hostility revealed in the military service pension files at the military archives. They give us a great insight into the role of women in the Irish Revolutionary Period, a role that was ignored for decades. The first Military Service Pension Act of 1920 effectively excluded women by not including Common in the list of organisations covered by the Act. To talk about this, I'm joined by historian Dr Mary McAuliffe, Director of uh, Gender Studies at University College Dublin. Welcome back to the show, Mary. Great Good to be here. Now, if you look at the case of someone that you've researched uh, thoroughly, you've written a biography of, Margaret Skinner. She did actually apply in the 1920s.
1: She did, um, but she had actually fought the 1916 Rising as a member of the Irish Citizen Army, even though she was also a member of the Glasgow Cumannemain. But when she came to Dublin, she joined Michael Mallon and Constance Markovich and marched to Stephen's Green with them as a member of the Irish Citizen Army. So under that, she was able to apply because the Irish Citizen Army was included
0: she wasn't given a pension. Was she not given a pension because she was a woman or was she not given a pension because she was anti-treaty?
1: Well, as they say, there's no easy answer to that in some (laughs) ways. Technically, when you read the pension file, it says she was not getting the pension because she was not a uh, soldier in the masculine sense. So that would say she was not given the pension because she was a woman. But... It had been determined by the hires up, including WT Cosgrave, that no irregulars, those who were anti-treaty, that's the term they used, were going to get the pension, male or female. So she was, even in the pension file where the officials are making the determination, they call her a notorious irregular. And she was. She um, had become the Quartermaster general of the anti-treaty IRA once Austin Stack was arrested and was then arrested herself and spent 11 months in jail. Uh, Went on hunger strike three times. So, yes, she was a notorious irregular. Mm. And so even if she had been Michael Skinner, she probably wouldn't have gotten the pension then. But definitely they used her gender to deny her the pension that they didn't want to give her because she was anti-treaty.
0: But do you reckon she was testing the legislation?
1: She was. There is a snippet from another woman's pension file that says, uh, who used Margaret as a referee in the 30s when women then could apply after the second tranche of uh, legislation came in, that uh, Margaret had told her she had tested the legislation in 1924 to see would they give it to her.
0: And others like her did not. I mean, uh, the Countess, for example, I suppose, could have applied for a pension. Uh, Winifred Carney could have applied for a pension.
1: Oh, they could have all. um, Well... Anyone who was in the Irish Citizen Army, any woman mm. who was in yep. the Irish Citizen Army, and that was quite a few of the senior leaders, Kathleen Lynn, Madeleine mm. french Mullen, as you say, Winifred Carney, uh, Markovich, they could have applied, but they didn't. Because, of course, they were all anti-treaty as well. Some didn't apply because they were uh, had rejected the illegitimacy of the state anyway. Others didn't apply because they probably knew, as Skinner was, they would be turned down.
0: Despite the fact that women were overlooked, it was a female-dependent revolution. It could not have happened without the women, the involvement of women.
1: Absolutely not. And I think the masses of information we have gotten in the last decade or two, and indeed the research that was done in the last 40 years by historians on Common and on the women who participated in the revolutionary period, show that a guerrilla warfare, in the way it was fought, could not have been fought without the women. They were the propagandists, and Patricia Hoey, who uh, also applied for the pension and turned down, was turned down under the 24 legislation, was a major propagandist. They ran the, the propaganda machine, basically, because mostly the men were on the run. Kathleen were,
0: McKenna Napoli, for example, was somebody else. There.
1: Uh, they were the intelligence gatherers. They were the dispatch carriers. They ran the safe houses, arms dumps. Some of them were very close to participation in ambushes. You know, they may not have been on the front line, but they were there behind the men ready to bring more ammunition or take it away when the men uh, were finished and had to flee because, of course, they would be under pressure to get away from any ambushes. So without them, the guerrilla war, in the way it was carried out, could not have been carried out.
0: I was always under the impression that no woman under the 1924 legislation actually got a pension. That's not true. Who was Bridget Lyons Thornton?
1: Bridget Lyons Thornton was a doctor, uh, but she was a young woman in 1916 who participated in the Four Courts as a member of Commonwealth. So you think, she? why did she get a pension under the legislation when Commonwealth were not allowed apply? Well, she became the first medical officer of the National Army. So she actually was the first woman officer in the National Army in the Medical Corps. She's a very interesting woman. Um, She goes on to have a a great career as as a doctor. Uh, She's also a niece of uh, Joe and Frank McGuinness. So she had connections at at the higher echelons of the state. And she was pro-treaty, obviously, because she joined the National Army. Sadly, she was also one of the women who was helping with the imprisoning and um, caring for the women when they were in Kilmainham Jail. So, women she had fought with and herself had been imprisoned within Kilmainham in nineteen sixteen because she was one of the seventy-seven women arrested. She is now basically their their warder or, or their the person who's keeping them in jail, and she was, you know, considered a traitor to the Cumann and cause and and that split between Cumann and Amman is as as awful as the split between the men in the IRA but because she was an officer within the National Army she was granted the pension but also I think because of her connections
0: Now in the 1930s obviously Fianna Fáil are elected to government in 1932, re-elected almost immediately then in 1933. And the new legislation, the new pensions legislation comes in in 1934. Common are included. Was that a recognition by de Valera of Common overwhelming rejection of the treaty?
1: Well, I think it was a matter of justice because, of course, they hadn't been included in 1924, and they had been uh, full participants in the War of Independence. And indeed, as we know now, most of them were anti-treaty in the Civil War. So including them in the legislation was correcting something that was a matter of injustice. I um, am a kind of loath to say that it was a matter of de Valera being a, a bit of a feminist, to include the women. But uh, many of those women later became members of Fianna Fáil and were... Uh, you know his allies in the political scenarios of the 1930s. Um,
0: Except some of them were not particularly happy with the 1937 constitution. Well, no, they were not particularly happy Dorothy with McCardle, the constitution. For example,
1: yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and they had those arguments. Mm. Um, and and they never really trusted him in that sense. But in the sense of Republican politics, yes.
0: Um, you mentioned Patricia Howey, a particularly mm-hmm. sad case. Tell me a little bit more about her case.
1: Well, she's a very interesting woman. Um, uh, there's actually a Kerry connection because, uh, you know, with these great women, there often is. Uh, <laughs> she is the great grandniece of the man who supposedly re- wrote The Rose of Tralee, William Mulchinock. Her mother was a Mulchinock. She was born in Dublin. Her father died young and they moved to England where she was educated and grew up. She's very much involved in suff- militant suffrage activism. She's a journalist, so she's writing a lot about women's rights coming up, say, to the Third Home Rule Bill in 1912 and is one of the one, women who is campaigning to have suffrage included in that bill and uh, is very dejected when Redmond and the Irish Party uh, refuse that. And indeed, in 1917, writes that the women of Ireland will reject the Irish Parliamentary Party in the election in 18 when they will be able to vote. And she was right about that. She returns from England around 1915 and is out in 1916 as a member of Cumann Amman. She fights in the Rising, uh, isn't arrested, but is very much involved in Sinn Féin and then in the War of Independence subsequently, she, because of her journalistic skills, in common with many of these young women, she's used as a propagandist and works with Pierce Beasley, for example, Arthur Griffith, the Sinn Féin Office of Propaganda, basically, is pro-treaty and so then applies for her pension. Because she she doesn't apply as a member of Commonwealth, she applies as a member of the National Army because she says she was in the military censor office as an official there or as an officer And this is the the difference between herself and Bridget Lyons Thornton. Lyons Thornton is actually a medical officer in the Medical Corps of the National Army. Patricia Hoey is in the military censored department, but is she an officer? And this is where the argument happens in the the file where her military service isn't accepted as that of a soldier. And so she is denied the pension despite being pro-treaty. Sadly, she gets TB towards the end of the 20s and dies in 1930, a relatively young woman.
0: As we reach the end of the decade of centenaries, do you think there has been restitution to women at last?
1: I think there has been a real move towards including women in our revolutionary story. I think you cannot now write that without them. That has been a process over many decades I mean, Margaret Ward's book, Unmanageable Revolutionaries, was in the early 1980s. And since then, there has been a move towards including women. And now we have so much material that gives us a real insight into how important they were, not just in running safe houses that we always knew that was the case, but their intelligence work, their propaganda work, which is vital to uh, promoting the Republican cause, not just in Ireland, but internationally. You see the Republican women going on tour in America in 1917 and 18 and then again later on. And that is uh, the vital contribution they made in that part, but also to the military aspect of the war. We're getting to see more and more they actually were soldiers. They call themselves in, in the, the language of the song, the soldiers of Amon and they definitely contribute to the military aspect of the war and denying them that pension and and saying that they were only due the grade E because they were not soldiers, they did not contribute to the military aspect, was uh, was part of the ideology of that time, that women couldn't possibly be soldiers. They were considered the girls who helped the men rather than actual active participants in a military revolution.
0: So the tradition of misogyny is a long one. It is indeed. Mary McAuliffe, thank you very much for joining us this evening.